And good morning, grace and peace to you. Uh, it's wonderful to be here this morning. My wife Beth is with me. I want to make sure you notice her. Uh, it's really good to be here. I, I love your pastor, Keith. He visited Living Hope recently on a Sunday, and here's just one window into his life and why I respect him. Uh, I did this sermon and, and often when preachers listen to sermons, you can get distracted by where is he going, he missed that, what's he thinking, uh, that sort of thing. You can be a bit uh, even critical perhaps, but uh, Keith at the end of the sermon just gave me a big hug, tears in his eyes, said, that sermon met me this morning. And I just respected that so much. He's just caught up in worship and that says a whole lot about him. I'm also happy to be here because I like being connected to my roots and it turns out that I was raised from about the year 7 to 14 right across the street. Uh, and so you old, older folks might remember Lemon Place Store. That was my first job. Lived two houses over and then moved from there to Kinzer's. Uh, which, so far as I can tell, hasn't changed since the year I moved there. Uh, <clears throat> a bit interesting to watch, but I went to Peckway Valley, and so uh, these are my roots, and I love coming back home. If you could turn to Colossians chapter 3, we're just going to look at four short verses, and I'm really just going to draw from two phrases. But as you think about life, uh, one biblical way to think about the Christian life is to think of it as a journey. We're, we're on a journey. We have a starting point as a Christian. So the way we come to Christ might be a point in time. It might be over several years. We, we might know a day, we might not. But there's a point in time where this journey as a Christian begins. We have a finish line, which is this life is our physical death. And then there's a final destination beyond this life. There is no way out of that destination. We're all headed toward an eternal destination. One of the most popular books ever written, you've heard of it, no doubt, it's called Pilgrim's Progress. It's by John Bunyan. It used to be read everywhere in terms of schools, at least when I was a child, it was read. And uh, Bunyan wrote this book as an allegory to describe the journey. And I want to read you the full title of this book, because this is how the Puritans rolled. It's called The Pilgrim's Progress from This World to That Which Is to Come, delivered under the similitude of a dream, wherein is discovered the manner of his setting out, his dangerous journey, and safe arrival at the desired country. I wonder how often you, Christian, think about your arrival at the desired country. I'd like to tell you this morning that it's of the utmost importance that we think often about heaven. Heaven should be front and center in our thoughts. So friend, when's the last time you thought about heaven? And I'm talking to myself here this morning again, uh, just as much as you. When's the last time you thought about heaven? Did heaven cross your mind in the past week? In the past month? Because you know what it's like. We're busy people, right? We have work to do, family, uh, friends, 
uh, phones to be on, right? We have, we have all kinds of things going on and it's so easy to be distracted in the here and now. I think it's generally true that the older one gets, the more one thinks about heaven because we've lost friends or family members. And so it tends to press in more upon us. Why would it matter that we think about our desired country, this destination. Why would that matter? One reason is because you need to know how to pack. You need to know how to prepare. Uh, Beth and I, over this past year, have watched way too many Hallmark movies because we're just tied up at home. And so we saw this one that uh, had a silly element to it, but this lady was busy on her phone and uh, she wanted to go to Jamaica for a free trip, but she ended up going to Vermont in the middle of winter. So she packs for Jamaica, warm weather, etc. She ends up in a cold place. The, the way you pack, the way you prepare, matters in terms of what that destination is like. Another reason it matters is because Jesus has warned us this life will be difficult. And I personally am only aware of life getting harder and harder as one gets older and sees more challenges come along in life. Life's hard, and then it says, we die. So we need to know what things are important and what things are trivial. What, what things are essential and what things are perhaps secondary or tertiary. The Bible helps us see. I know you know this. I've been on your website. The word of God's a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. The Bible prepares us for that which is to come. The word informs our pursuit of godliness. So I want to read Colossians 3, 1 to 4. It goes like this. If then you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I want to call your attention to two statements in this text for your consideration. I know you as a church want to hear the word and do the word. So the question is, how are we doing these two statements? Verse one, seek the things that are above. Verse two, set your minds on things that are above. What these statements do is establish true north for us. It establishes for us a direction for our life. These words get after the things that matter most and should motivate us most. These words inform our values and our decisions. So uh, Dr. Don Carson wrote, in our pragmatic, materialistic society, and that's where we all live, where each of us seeks comfort and fulfillment and respect, it is hard to follow a despised, crucified Messiah unless, unless we fix our eyes on the end. If we do not aim for the new heaven and new earth, many of our values and decisions will be myopic, unworthy, tarnished, fundamentally wrong-headed. To put the matter bluntly, he asked a rhetorical question, can biblical spirituality long survive where Christians are not oriented to the world to come? 
Even Walt Disney knew this. Walt Disney said, when your values are clear, decisions are easy. When you know what you value, when you know what you're headed toward, decisions become easy. This text invites us to think and live with a vertical focus in our lives. You know how hard this is day in and day out to think and live with a vertical orientation. We find it challenging as life is busy. But we want to major on the life to come. That day should inform this day. So Don Carson again, many Christians think of their faith now almost exclusively in terms of what it does for them now rather than in terms of preparing them for eternity such that it transforms how they live now. Our view of heaven should transform the way we're living now and should inform the way you and I are living now. Well, all very well and good, but exactly how do we do this thing? How do we seek the things that are above? How do we set our minds on things that are above? I want to suggest that we do this by contemplating heaven. We think much, we think often on heaven, on the time which is to come. This is a challenge, I say, because heaven has fallen on hard times. We don't tend to think of it often. We don't tend to think of heaven regularly. We want to be famous, wealthy, productive. We want to be busy. We want our best life now. And you know what's hard about life? We're, we're all blessed in so many ways that, that actually if you'd put a heaven button in front of each of us, we might be torn. We might not be sure it's better to be with Christ now because there's so many blessings here and so many things we enjoy. We are a blessed people. Well, how do people tend to think about heaven? Just take a little trip here with me. How do, how do we tend to think about heaven? Well, Christians have been criticized, I think with some good reason, for focusing solely on heaven in presenting the gospel. So where will you go when you die? That, that sort of a question and approach, which in, can encourage someone. I mean, folks can come to Christ any number of ways, Lord knows. But it can encourage this sort of idea that I pray to sinner's prayer, I'm good to go. Uh, some people call it fire insurance. But it tends to leave us with weak ineffective Christians, certainly not disciples, uh, as people live their life. There's no discipleship, no kingdom, no sin, no cross, just a prayer for future bliss. In times past, centuries past, Negro slaves sang spirituals often focused on heaven because of their dire straits that they were in. I was raised on Southern gospel music, heard way too many quartets, and they often sang about heaven which is interesting to note. Uh, songs like, I've got a mansion when we all get to heaven. Heaven is a wonderful place. And do, Lord, probably you all don't even know these songs, but I heard them in my childhood and they were popular. In our music today, just want you to note, there aren't many songs about heaven. You're hard pressed to find an entire song about heaven being sung. And at best, you're gonna get an occasional verse. Uh, which, which is wonderful, but it's not something that we are highly focused on. Perhaps we've forgotten heaven, right? Or perhaps, more likely, we don't know how to think about heaven. We're just, we're just not sure what it's like. Some folks, tragically, when they think about heaven, think they will primarily be bored. 
and that I say is a tragedy, because it means that we are saying effectively, God himself is boring. And that couldn't be further from the truth, but that's the logic of that thought. This boredom has been captured, uh, so I'm asking you to press into your image of heaven now. Uh, This image has been captured uh, with a person sitting on a cloud, white gown and wings, strumming a harp, and doing it again, and keeping at it. And you're sort of like, well, I like a harp, but I don't know about day after day. And then we get images and revelation of a worship service, and we think, well, I like to gather on a Sunday. I, I like to sing with the saints. It's, it's important, but hour after hour, day after day, like that's it? Uh, interestingly, when revival strikes a church, when God comes, people do love to sing for hours, but even so, it's not a whole day that, that this goes on and on. So we can be a little, well, I'm not sure about that. Like, I mean, I like to sing, but like, that's it? Just, I'm gonna stand around a throne? forever? Like, I, I, I don't know. Don't know about a worship service all day, every day. Secular thinkers and poets capture this idea of boredom, and the world can press in on us and affect us perhaps more than we know. Uh, science fiction writer Isaac Asimov said this, I don't believe in an afterlife, so I don't have to spend my whole life fearing hell, or fearing heaven even more. For whatever the tortures of hell, I think the boredom of heaven would be even worse. John Lennon, former Beatle, sang a haunting song, but horrible lyrics. He said, imagine there's no heaven, it's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. He's trying to write a positive song encouraging people to care about now, but ironically, this is how almost everybody's living. They aren't living as if there's a heaven or a hell. And there is dissatisfaction all over the place. Some people think hell is a better party. So singer Billy Joel sang this, and I apologize for the old musicians. I I went looking for hip hop for the younger folks for heaven, and I couldn't find anything. So there was a couple songs back in the 80s and the lyrics weren't appropriate, so I don't know what culture's doing right now. Billy Joel said, they say there's a heaven for those who will wait. Some say it's better, I say it ain't. I'd rather laugh with the sinners than cry with the saints. The sinners are much more fun. Now, it gets at this idea that we can be tempted towards sin and pulled towards sin and sin can be enticing. And there are actually times where in our insanity, We somehow think sin is more exciting or more fun than godliness. It is never so. It is never so. It's an idiotic thought if there ever was one. I recall in my days at Pequay sharing the gospel with a high school classmate who has since passed away. His response to my attempt to share the good news about Jesus was that he'd rather be with his friends in hell. And I sought to dissuade him from that notion, but he was set in his ways. He knew what he was saying and what he believed. The point I'm getting at is that heaven is often met with a shrug and a yawn. And I'm asking you to think about your response to heaven. It's often seen as being boring, and it seems obvious. If we have an incorrect view of heaven, we won't seek the things that are above, and we won't set our minds on things that are above. We just won't do it because we don't see 
the point. So how then should we think about heaven? I'm going to give you two concrete ideas that I'd like to press into your thinking. First, heaven is a definite place. The Bible describes three heavens. One is the sky that covers the earth. Second is the universe pressing out into the sun, moon, stars. And then third, the one we're referring to, is the dwelling place of God himself. This is the heaven we're concerned about. Jesus describes this dwelling place of God as he teaches his disciples at the Last Supper, just before he goes to the cross. He goes to prepare a place. It's not a vague concept. It's not just a spiritual reality. John 14, 1 and 2, Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me, because Jesus claimed to be God. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. Jesus has been at work preparing that place for us. This place is described in the Bible in many ways. And I want you to listen to this list so that you can acclimate your mind to the activities that take place there. It's the reason for the diverse description of heaven, because there are many activities taking place. Heaven is described as a city, a garden, a new creation, new heavens and new earth. It's a wedding feast. They're singing. It's described as a house. It's described as a country. It's described as paradise. It's described as a place of perfection where there's no more sin, no more temptations, no more battles. Hard to wrap our mind around. Revelation 21, 27, nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. And earlier in chapter 21, the one who conquers will have this heritage. I'll be his God, he'll be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. But heaven is a world of love. In 1 Corinthians 13, 8, the Bible says love never ends. And it is, it is hard to wrap my mind around a place where there is only love. But heaven is a world of love. There is nothing unlove in the heaven that we will occupy. And it's a place of joy. There are, try to comprehend, no sorrows, no pain, no depression, no sadness, no disappointments, no death. It is a place of joy. So the psalmist writes, you make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there's fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. That will be our existence in eternity and it will be glorious. So it's a place, but second, Jesus is in this place. And this is the important point. Jesus is in this place. Jesus made a promise to his disciples they would be with him, continuing in John 14, 3. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. The one who lived a perfect life, 
who died our death on a cross, who was raised to newness of life on the third day, proving he conquered death. The one who offers us the gift of eternal life, if we believe in him, says this about eternal life. Here's how he defines it. John 17, three, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Eternal life is summed up in Christ. Christ is our love, our passion, our affections are fixed on him. And on that day, we shall be with Jesus and we shall be like him. Oh, happy day. First John 3, 2, beloved, we're God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. The Christian has this desire within to be like Jesus now. There's a hunger, there's a drive, there's a bent to be like Jesus now. And that informs the way we live our life now. We literally seek to bring heaven to earth now for the glory of God. So in our marriage, we seek to bring heaven to earth. In our family relationships, you know family's hard, right? In our family relationships, we're seeking to bring heaven to earth whether it's racial reconciliation or abuse, uh, getting along with others, uh, we, we find love attractive and we seek to bring that love into this world. Again, I say for the glory of God. So we'll be with Jesus, we'll be like Jesus. God is the gift and God is not boring. So Pastor John Piper writes, Christ did not die to forgive sinners who go on treasuring anything above seeing and savoring God. And people who'd be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. Gets at this idea that things are summed up in Christ. Christ is our all in all. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. It's a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, We've not been converted by the gospel. In my eighth grade history class at Peckway Valley, world history, I was taught the reason Christianity spread and existed because the poor people of the world loved the idea of streets of gold, and so they wanted gold. And I sat there thinking, ludicrous. Because it wasn't gold they were interested in. It was Jesus they were interested in. It was Jesus they longed for and wanted to be with. It's the same way for us. But get this, Jesus will be delighted to see you there. He will be delighted to see you face to face. What a greeting that will be. We're thinking, I'm just blessed to be here. He longs for us to be with him. A.W. Tozer said, did you ever stop to think that God is going to be as pleased to have you with him in heaven as you are to be there? His love is upon you and he wants to be with you and we want to be with him. So heaven's a place and Jesus is there. So third, why or how does heaven affect the way we live? We must understand that we will suffer in this life and we must be prepared for that suffering. There are blessings mixed in for sure, but there is certainly suffering. Heaven lightens the burden as we trod our path in 
this life. Suffering reveals to us who we are now. It doesn't create a response. It's a revealer. It says who we are. And we await a new creation. So Romans 8, 18 and following, Paul writes, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that's to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. This present time isn't worth comparing. As we try to wrap our minds around what heaven's like, this present time does not compare. It is above and beyond. Eye hasn't seen, ear hasn't heard what God has prepared for us, his people. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and following. So do not lose heart. Don't lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Perhaps life hasn't played out the way you hoped. Speaking to folks at Living Hope, I I don't know you, but enough people here, some are going to fit into these categories at Living Hope. We have some folks who'd like to be married and aren't, and that's a disappointment to them. We have a couple or two that would like to conceive, and are devastated because they can't. It's a heartbreak. It's a sorrow for them as they live out uh, this life. Um, You want children? Can't. Perhaps you've been mistreated or abused by someone along the way. It happens to many, and it makes life uh, grievously hard. Perhaps you've just simply been respected. Uh, In all of these, life itself is not the end. There is a destination beyond this life. And God has said, do not take revenge. God has said, that ball is in my court and I'll settle all accounts. I've got it. I'll take care of it. You and I are simply accountable to live this life for the glory of God, seeking to bring love to earth now. We also understand, though, that Jesus will bless us with rewards. It is it is easy for us to think we're not famous, we're not important, so, so we're insignificant. But that is not the case in the eyes of God. God does not view us that way. And in fact, when we sacrifice for mission, he promises this in Mark 10. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there's no one who's left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions, note that, and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. What's Jesus saying? He loves sacrifice, he loves mission, but he's saying in life, those you see as first now, don't be fooled, on that day, they'll be last. They won't be first. For each and every one of us, our life has massive significance as we're called to live as salt and light and live for the glory of God.
So we take courage no matter our plight in knowing God sees us and knows us. And no matter what comes our way in this life, we make it our aim to please him. So the Apostle Paul again, 2 Corinthians 5. Yes, we're of good courage and we'd rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So whether we're home or away, we make it our aim to please him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he's done in the body, whether good or evil. And we want to get as many people in on this as possible because our Savior must have his inheritance of the nations. And so we share the gospel with our friends. We share the gospel with neighbors we're around, co-workers as appropriate. We care deeply that others get in on everything good that will be ours in eternal life. We love to tell others about Jesus. We tell them the bad news about sin and wrath to come. And we tell them good news of a savior who died for the sins of the world. And then we live life making choices that we weigh on the scales of eternity. Our resources get stewarded by what they are worth on that day. And so Martin Luther said he lives every day thinking about that day. And so it should be for each one of us. Heaven's the destination of a Christian, the end of a journey. Heaven is a place and Jesus is there. It will be glorious. What will we do in that new creation? All I can say is we'll have the best time ever. Best time ever. I expect all manner of work and creative activity. I expect sports and music. I, I think numerous interests will be taking place there when you consider the list of how heaven is described. You could think of Narnia by C.S. Lewis to understand what might be taking place in heaven. We'll see family and friends. We'll see heroes of the faith. Don't miss it and prepare for it. So let me move to conclude. So what's our problem? What's our problem? I asked you in the beginning, have you thought about your eternal destination? When's the last time you thought about heaven? It's not to make you feel bad. I'm trying to exhort you to do Colossians 3, 1 to 4, to do what the Bible says we should do. I think our problem is we forget about heaven. We forget about where Jesus is. Of course, it could mean we forget about Jesus himself, right? But I think, I think for many of us, Jesus is more front and center. But I think heaven uh, can be a far off remote idea. I want to underscore for all of us that life is not a certainty. We are only as good as our next breath and, and our next heartbeat. And uh, back when I was working at my, my first job after college, um, I had a friend's son who was 14 drop over in center field from an aneurysm, dead, gone, gone at 14. And I don't, I don't say this to, to alarm anyone. You can't scare anyone into the kingdom of God. It's love and mercy that attracts. But, but I want to say to each of us, I want to say, friends, don't kick the can down the road. Because life is uncertain. We don't know if we have the rest of today. We don't know if we have tomorrow. And so if you're not following Christ, I want to invite you to consider your ways. I want to encourage you to think about eternity, the life beyond this life that Jesus says is sure and certain, but heaven is not sure and certain for all.
encourage you to consider your life. And if you're a Christian, professing Christian, I want to invite you to examine your life and consider whether you're living with that day in view or are you messing with other things that are unproductive or perhaps even sinful that have no benefit on that day, none whatsoever. I want to ask you, are you sure it's worth giving up that sacrifice? I suggest that it's not. It's unwise to delay following Jesus. Sinclair Ferguson puts it this way. Our problem is that our sense of values has been distorted. We treasure the visible and the ephemeral. We discount the invisible and eternal. That's heaven. That's why we need to listen again to the injunction not to be conformed to this age, but to be transformed through renewing of our minds, Romans 12, 1 and 2. The biblical doctrine of the final state is intended to reverse our this age mentality. So what's the solution? I say fight to think about heaven where Jesus is. Fight to think about it. From time to time, reflect on what it must be like to be there. Study the topic of heaven in your Bible. Randy Alcorn wrote a book about heaven that I can recommend. Randy tends to speculate a bit more than I'm comfortable speculating. He says things like, for instance, your pet, if if it makes you happier, your pet will be in heaven. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but maybe someone needs to hear that today. Um, but So there's things like that, but he writes, and, and the whole book gets you to think about heaven, and I think that is a, a worthwhile exercise. So study the topic. Talk to others about heaven to stir and strengthen your faith. Some of my most helpful moments in my Christian life have been conversations with others about heaven where they're mentioning things I'm not even thinking of, and it serves me. So 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 and following, for God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether we're awake or asleep, we might live with him, verse 11. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing, friends. We help each other live the Christian life when we talk about heaven with one another. It helps to remind us. It helps to sharpen us. And it helps to encourage us. While we live by grace through faith, this will require focus and effort on our part. As a young man, Jonathan Edwards, considered the greatest theologian the U.S. has produced, um, penned some 70 resolutions. And number 50, I commend to you. He said, effectively, I'm going to act now as I judge would be most prudent for when I come into that world. I'm going to do everything now with an eye on what's best then. And it's to this that I exhort you for your consideration from this day forward. So there's much we don't know about heaven, I'll grant you, but God has told us all that we need to know. And so Revelation 21, 1 to 4 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more, meaning evil was gone. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, 
and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more. I am ready for that. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So friends, seek the things that are above. Set your mind on things that are above and live your life now informed by those thoughts. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement to us regarding how to live. Lord, we're, we're aware that we've been taught. Uh, we have a great deal of knowledge. And when we appear before you, there, there won't be any excuses we can offer. I pray that you would lead us by your Holy Spirit. Fill us, I pray. And Lord, I pray that you would keep heaven by grace in the front and center of our thinking. And I pray that it be our earnest desire to bring heaven to earth, to live a life of love, to live a life of joy, to endure whatever sufferings and persecutions come our way, all because our eyes are fixed upon that which is far superior to this life. Lead us and guide us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.